Okay, Daniel chapter 1. I was going to make a smart aleck remark that, you know, your Bible might be opening to Daniel automatically because we've been in it so long, and now I can't find it. I think it, it's, it, it didn't happen. Um, but there it is. It's on page 823. Kind of interesting, um, you know, there's, there's lots of commentaries on Daniel. Um, there are po tons of podcasts on Daniel. Some, I mean, I even have one. But there are some good ones out there, too, if you ever, you know, want to, to venture out onto the World Wide Web or, you know, a podcast. Just, just you, can, you can type in sermons on Daniel, uh, Daniel 1. Over and over again, though, I, I kept hearing, and I will listen to them. They're, I, I think it, they're, they're beneficial, and you, you've got to know this is a good one, this is not so good, but because people will twist things. But um, I drive now, and in, in these days it's down to about an hour and ten minutes each way to and from work. I mean, it was longer than that before all the, the corona shut down. Um, but it's, this, this is a good way for me to supplement my study. I mean, I can listen to good teachers teaching on Daniel. And um, I'll, I will try to quote them if I'm stealing their material and not make you think it's just coming from me. But over and over and over, uh, they, they, they talk about living in exile and, and equate that with, with us with 21st century believers. Have you ever considered that we are living in exile, that, that this is not our home? Do, do we think that? And if, and if we did, what would be the basis for such a, a claim or, or uh, a, a statement? This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Paul, in Philippians 3, wrote, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Him. And Paul says, this, you're not a citizen of this world. Yeah, we're living here. But in a sense, we, we too are exiles. And now we're, we're, we're going to uh, meet Daniel, look at Daniel. He is literally an exile in, in, a, in a foreign land. Let's start reading in, in verse 1 and see... Um, it, it's a familiar book. At least the first half of Daniel is very familiar. If you grew up in church, you, you, you heard several of these accounts, stories, even as a, a young primary growing up. Even uh, culturally, our society, people know of Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, that, that those are, are even still familiar to, to our, in, in our land, even for non-believers. 
But it starts here, verse 1, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Is this a surprise that this happened? If you just opened your Bible to Daniel chapter 1 and all of a sudden began reading that, wow, the Babylonians have, have conquered Judah, Israel. The northern tribes have been gone for uh, over 100 years, around 125 years since Assyria captured, the, the, took, took the, uh, the, the northern tribes into captivity. But here, we just, if, if, if you're coming at it out of the blue with no background, where am I going with this? Context. Jehoiakim. Who was Jehoiakim? When you look back, remember before we, 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 we went on vacation, sabbatical, no, no meeting, we had just finished 2 Kings going through Israel and, and all of the kings, and we had met not too long ago, a king named Josiah. And Josiah was a good king. He was more than being just a good king. He was a reformer that, that he turned Israel back to worshiping the, the, the Lord God, the, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and what else do you remember about Josiah? He was eight years old when he became king. And, and, and he was a good king, he, but he was the grandson of Manasseh, one of the most evil kings in the southern kingdom. And yet as an eight-year-old, he, he was mentored by the high priest, a godly high priest at the time, and, and other godly uh, men and women who would have, have taught him the ways of the Lord. He, he served the Lord. He led Israel back to worshiping God, getting rid of all the, the, the Baal temples and, and, and influences that had been, that his grandfather and his father had brought into the nation. But Josiah was killed in, in, in a battle, probably a battle he should never have been in, that he had gone up to Megiddo north of Jerusalem, in, in, in actually in Samaria, and had fought Pharaoh and, and the Assyrians were, were, came up with this coalition, this alliance to fight Babylon. Josiah's trying maybe to kiss up to Babylon, show them that, okay, we'll help you. And, and, and he was killed, and his son, Jehoiakim, became, became king. He was an evil king also. And, and, and got rid of, it didn't take long for all of the re reforms that Josiah had brought in, that he had, that, 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 that Jehoiakim and his son and then his brother after them led Israel back astray. But does it go back farther than just those two, three generations of, of Israel's sin? Is it a great surprise that Babylon comes and, and, and besieges 
Jerusalem. Is this just a, a, a political move, just the next great power in, in, in the history of world powers? We had the, the Assyrians, uh, Shalmaneser and, and, and Sargon and the Assyrians who had conquered the ten northern tribes. Now their power is waning. Babylon is building up. Nabopolassar, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's father is, is, is building an empire. Nebuchadnezzar is actually the general when this starts and he, 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 he leads the armies of his daddy to, you know, conquer different parts of the, of the ancient Near East. But it is, is it just a, another kingdom coming up as kingdoms do, you know, nations rise and, and nations fall. You know, you, you've got, we, we know through history, they'll eventually Alexander the Great's going to conquer this, the Romans, and, and then sort of the Dark Ages, but then we get into different European nations being, being strong, the, the, the British Empire, and then moving into the 19th and 20th century, the United States of America, Germany, and, and, and Adolf Hitler and their attempt to control the world, the Soviet Union, the Chinese, over and over. Is this just another kingdom coming about? Okay, don't everybody answer at once. <laughs> It was God's plan. He, he starts, Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem and besieged it. If you stopped in verse 1, it'd be like, okay, it's just another king trying to expand his, his territory. But then verse 2, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. God gave Judah into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Is that a mistake? Like Terry said, if, you, if they listen to the prophets, then this is no surprise. And Daniel writing this, decades after it happens, you know, maybe he's making notes, maybe he's got a really good memory. He, he probably doesn't write this till later in his life. Daniel and, and, and his friends, um, we, we haven't met them yet, but we're going to. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are more than likely teenagers at the time. By the time we get to the end of Daniel, Daniel chapter 12, he's going to be well into his 80s, maybe even his 90s, uh, that Daniel lives that, that long. So... Can you remember things that happened to you as a teenager? If, if you're taken into captivity, what's the, 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 the mileage? 600 miles from Jerusalem to, to, to Baghdad to, to, to Babylon. Um, it, it's a distance. If you're taken into that, you know, that distance in, in chains to a different culture, I think I would remember that, but really, I don't, I don't know. Maybe not that long. So maybe he made notes. God laid this on his heart to, to, to write down what's going on. But Daniel, 
immediately points to the fact that God gave Jehoiakim into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. That's the theme of the whole book. If, you know, read, and I, maybe you've read it. God is in control. This was not an accident. Nebuchadnezzar didn't get lucky and, 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 and conquer Judah and Assyria and Egypt and all of, the, all of the, the, the countries around him. God allowed Nebuchadnezzar. I think the NIV said that he delivered Judah into his hands. Which one is more, I don't know if it's condemning, which, which word gave or delivered? I think delivered sounds more pronounced, more, uh, more planned. Why did God do that? He was fed up. <laughs> That's, that pretty much boils it all down. Had God warned Israel that this would happen? Yes. Go back and read Leviticus 26, and you, and you, you have the first few verses there, I think, um, maybe verses 3 to around 14, the, the blessings that God will give Israel if they are obedient, if they serve only Him, if they keep His commandments, if they don't worship other gods. But then around fifth, verse 15, Leviticus 26, you begin to have, and, it, and it's amazing. I just noticed this, um, and I probably heard somebody say it, a podcast or read it, but that it's a progressive uh, announcement of the curses that will be on uh, Israel if they don't, if they don't um, obey him. It's actually in starts Leviticus 26, verse 14. But if you do not listen to me and will not keep my commandments, break my covenant, then I will do this. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease, with fever. I will set my face against you. He starts with, with that, with panic, with disease. And then he moves on. If you continue to walk contrary to what I'm doing, I will strike you sevenfold for your sins. I will let loose wild beasts, and they, they, shall, they shall bereave you of your children. And he goes on and he says, if, if you still don't, and, it, and it, keeps, it keeps growing, the consequences. Now, what could we glean about that? It's like, okay, the first time, you're, you're going to get grounded. And this is, I don't mean to sound trite, it, that, that God is... What does that tell us about God? I mean, was, was the book of Daniel preserved that these things, we're talking about around 605 B.C. when, when chapter 1 occurs. So 2,625 years, give or take. And yet God has preserved that for us. Is it so that we would know about Daniel that we would dare to be a Daniel? Maybe a little bit. 
but is it not more so that we would know about God and who He is? And, and so we see that, that God is serious about sin. He punishes sin, and He had warned Israel, this is what's going to happen. Had He warned them more recently, yes, Daniel's way I calculated it was it was his great-granddaddy, Hezekiah. You can go back, maybe it was great-great, but I think it was his great-granddaddy, Hezekiah, had, was another reformer king in, in 2 Kings 20. And, and he had been sick, and, and, and he had prayed, and God answered that prayer, and he was healed. And the Babylonian king at the time, this is before Nebuchadnezzar, before Nebuchadnezzar, came and sent an envoy to, to say, hey, we're glad that you're better. Hezekiah said, yeah, look, look at all this stuff we've got. And he showed them all of the kingdom, all of the treasures in the kingdom. And Isaiah, the, the, the prophet, went to Hezekiah and said, what did you show them? Why did you show them this? And Hezekiah's like, well, you know, I'm just, everybody likes to show off their stuff. And Isaiah, it's recorded in, in 2 Kings uh, 20, but also in, in the book of Isaiah in chapter 39. He said, what have they seen of your house? This is Isaiah 39 verse 4. Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. This is 120 some odd years before it actually happens that Isaiah tells Hezekiah what's going to happen. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now with that, that would not be good news. Hezekiah goes on, his response is the word of the Lord that you have spoken. This is Hezekiah talking to Isaiah. He says, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought there will be peace and security in my days. Okay, that's, that's kind of being a bad daddy. I mean, he's like, I don't, it's okay because it's going be, to be good in my time. I don't care about them. And Hezekiah was one of the good was one of the good kings, reformer king. Even someone who is dedicated to the Lord can have light moments, lesser moments of, of being selfish. So God had warned Israel over and over and over again that. He is going to punish them if they are not faithful, if they are not obedient. And here, 
Right, right off the bat in, in, in Daniel, we see that God delivered Jehoiakim the king into his hands. And what else? Some of the vessels of the house of God. You know, the menorah, the, the cups, the bronze basin, possibly the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, we don't really know, but didn't Solomon move it back in? I mean, Indiana Jones was wrong. They, they attributed it to Shishak, the, the, the Egyptian king, centuries before. But, but that, you know, they took all these vessels. Now, why would Daniel record such a thing? I mean, it's important. What's the significance of Nebuchadnezzar coming? God delivered the... Jerusalem, Judah, Israel, to Nebuchadnezzar. He took the king. Go back and read the end of chapter of 2 Kings. I can't remember if he gets killed or if he takes... He doesn't take him. He takes Jehoiachim. Anyhow, delivers the king to Nebuchadnezzar and some of the vessels... What would be a significance of the Babylonians taking some of the vessels of the temple back to Babylon? It's a fulfillment of the prophecy, a fulfillment of the prophecy that, that he's going to do this. Who does it look like wins this battle, this confrontation, this, this event? It looks like Babylon does, but extend that out. It looks like Marduk, the god of the Babylonians, wins this confrontation. I mean, it, it, I don't know if we do that now. We've, we've probably evolved and, and, and we don't think in such terms. But, but ancient mindset was if Country A beats country B, then country A's God is greater than country B's God. So, God delivered Judah, Jehoiakim, into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, and he allowed Nebuchadnezzar to take things out of his temple back to Babylon. Why? Why? God is, is allowing himself to look bad to, in order to preserve and redeem Judah, Israel. He's like, I know that this doesn't look good, but God's purpose and overall plan, he, he didn't care how it made him look good. He was still in control. God was still... The, the sovereign, the only God of, of the universe. But he... he, he it makes him look bad. Huh? I don't think it makes him look bad. I think this is a point where he goes back to Leviticus and you were talking about the stages in there. And this is like the fourth cycle of discipline. We talked about the economic and the military invasion. Mm-hmm.
you've now made it to stage four, there's another one even worse than that coming, but you've made it to... They've made it that far, yes. But do the Babylonians think the God of Israel is nothing? I mean, I'm thinking in that sense, he look, he, God allows himself to look bad. We know what he's doing, but they're, they haven't read the end of, uh, they haven't read Daniel. Right. Well, he has, okay, extend it out. What day did to the world did God look the worst? To the world. When Jesus was crucified. You know, they, the, the Jewish leaders thought, okay, that's the end of that. But just in case, let's put a guard on his tomb. That, 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 that God, because, and so what does it teach us about God? He, he has a plan. He is in control. He is sovereign. He, he is moving things toward his purpose. And, and, and <laughs> okay, where do we stop? Okay. So, no, no, no. <laughs> So, so, so God allowed this to happen, even if it made the Babylonians think they were in control. What else did he take? I mean, he takes the king, he takes the vessels. Verse 3, Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. At the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So not only did the Nebuchadnezzar take the king. He hasn't totally destroyed Jerusalem at the time. Jerusalem is still standing. This is the first of three uh, attacks, sieges, uh, major conflicts there in, in Jerusalem, but that he, he takes not only treasures from the king's house, but he, he deports a lot of people. Included in there are Daniel, three of his friends, you know, probably tens of thousands going back. And, and what do they begin to do? Nebuchadnezzar sets up, tells the, 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 the chief eunuch to brainwash, in, 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 indoctrinate these youths into Babylonian culture. What are they going to do? Give them food. What does that do 
we're, we're going to stop there and we'll finish. We'll continue next week starting in verse 8. But they take you to far away and pretend you hadn't read the next part that you're just reading it. Does this sound good? Okay, they've taken us. We're going to get to eat at the king's table. I remember in college the, and when I lived in a dorm at Baylor, and it was right next to the athletic dorm. And, and there were some of those guys were really, really friendly, and, and, and they would talk to you. But they would also tell you what they had eaten that day for lunch. And, and, and they didn't go. Well, one dorm was Pinland, P-E-N-L-A-N-D. But we called it Pigland. It, the, the food was not as good in that cafeteria as it was in the athletic dorm. And you, there might have been a few guys that could sneak in. I did not have the body to sneak in to the, you know, and, and they probably, you didn't have card swipes, you know. That, that was way before. Yeah. <laughs> like Spud Webb, right? <laughs> But they, they, would, they would have steak and shrimp and all this stuff. And we would have steak, but it was called Salisbury steak. You know, what is that's almost like weenies and bologna, you know. And so Daniel and his friends are going back. They're going to get to eat at the king's table. Out of the three things, are there three? They're going to be educated. They're going to be given food. And they're going to be given names. This is to ponder for the week. Which of the three, on paper, without knowing everything, having read ahead, which of the three sounds the worst? Okay, which of the three sounds the best? I'm thinking the food from the king's table sounds the best. I mean, and I could get over having my name changed. Now, having to go to school and learn a new language, that's, uh, that's going to be the hard part. Okay, so, and they got wine, all the wine you can drink. I mean, and it's probably not Boone's Farm. It's probably, you know, <laughs> it's something good from Napa Valley or, you know. Um, okay, so, I don't want, I mean, you know how it's going to end, right? But just, just think about that. If you're Daniel, Hananiah, um, Azariah, Mishael, and I got the last two names backwards, but um, what, are they, what are they thinking? Are they thinking, you know, they've made it there to Babylon. They've, they, the journey's over, and, and it wasn't an easy journey. It wasn't like flying first class. You know, more than likely they walked with, with chains. They're, they're taken into, into uh, captivity. And it's like, okay, guys, here's what we're going to do. Just think about how you would react as a middle teen. I mean, I'm thinking as a lower 60-ish type of person, that what, what would I think? What, how would I react 
And the follow-up is, does the world try to brainwash us today with such subtleties? Does Satan try to brainwash us today with such subtleties? So, that'll give you something to think about as, you know, we, next week we'll get into how Daniel reacts. And it's like, you know, he might be the son that every father wants. It's like, oh man, this guy, he's a teenager and he's doing that. Just saying, what do you see? What can we glean from these first seven verses? I mean, the theme of the book, the overall theme is, and, and even when we get into the prophecies, it's, it's clear. God is in control. God is sovereign. God is faithful to his promises. God promised, and this may be sort of a, a negative side to it, but God promised Israel, I will bless you beyond all imagination if you are obedient to me. But he also told them, I will punish you if you disobey, if you're unfaithful, if you chase after other gods. That, so, so God is faithful to his promises, whether it's a promise of blessing or if it's a promise of, of, of judgment, and that God takes sin seriously. Was there a date in history at which God decided, I'm no longer going to take sin seriously? No. But sin is not sin anymore, is it? In, in our culture, in our world, in our society, that we don't think of sin the same way. And, and that's a subtle ploy of Satan toward even to believers when we don't see how serious did God does, did, do God take sin? Very. Very. On a scale of 1 to 10, it's like a 15. But how serious? What demonstrates it? He sacrificed his only son to pay the penalty for our sin. Okay, I asked, what do you see that we can glean? And then I didn't even pause. I just started spouting off. What, what do you see? I mean, I took the easy one, the obvious one. Do you, do you think he gets tired of forgiving us? No, and it's a good thing he doesn't, right? That he doesn't get tired of forgiving us. When we repent, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin. Now, he might... Okay, I'm not even going to speculate on that. But I'll, I don't think he gets tired of forgiving us. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else before we are dismissed? Um, one sort of announcement, um, and, and, and I'm still kind of... Um, 